0: This episode of the Flathead Beacon podcast is brought to you by Swenson Real Estate, service before self. With over 30 years experience, they've seen it all. Contact Jeff and Lorena today at 406-253-0033. That's 406-253-0033. Swenson Real Estate, service before self. From right here in the beautiful Flathead Valley, I'm Micah Drew, and this is the Flathead Beacon Podcast for Wednesday, September 1st. While the attention of the sporting world has shifted to the fall football season and the start of numerous high school sports, some athletes are still reminiscing about and processing their experiences competing at the highest level of sport, the Olympic Games. Whitefish has an elite club of Olympic athletes that can be counted on a single hand. Nicole Haverland competed for Team USA in Rugby Sevens in Tokyo after going to the 2016 Rio Games as a reserve. Nicole joins the podcast today to talk about her experience in Tokyo, how she and her team handled an early exit from the tournament, and what it means to have a supportive community back home in Montana. But before we get to that interview, a reminder that this week's podcast is supported in part by members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. Members support all of our journalism in all of its forms, in print, online, and here in the podcast studio, and they do so for as little as $5 per month. Plus, they get some extra perks too. To find out more or join today, visit beaconeditorsclub.com. Now, I'd like to welcome this week's guest, who I talked to on the phone Tuesday afternoon.
1: Can you introduce yourself and what you do?
2: Hi, my name is Nicole Haverland. I play professional rugby for the United States of America.
1: And I know that the announcement came out uh, a long time ago when they released the roster, but... You've been working really hard for a number of years and we're very close to making the team in twenty sixteen, getting to be a reserve in Rio. What was it like when you saw your name on the roster and it kinda hit you that you were unofficially an Olympian?
2: Yeah, I mean, with our sport it's it's injuries happen left and right, so I feel like seeing my name on the Olympic roster this time this time around was definitely, you know, a check mark, but it was always like what's next you know it's like let's let's stay healthy let's improve and let's be in the best position mentally and physically uh, when i compete in the olympics so definitely like there's some celebratory um, feelings but you know it's it's also it's almost actually more pressured because you are named and you have to represent your teammates and even the country japan was very ready for the olympics um and very very welcoming so, um, overall, a really good experience.
1: I know we've talked a little bit about what it was like doing the opening ceremonies, but to people who have never been in the athlete tunnel, as, as you actually got to be and be on the field, what was it like getting outfitted and then getting to go through the ceremonies with all the other countries?
2: Yeah, that was, um, that was kind of a, a, like an experience that felt fast forward. Uh, right when we got to the Olympic Village that day earlier, we were fitted for opening ceremonies, and that next day we we walked in the opening ceremony itself and that that whole journey kind of took four four and a half hours. so it was pretty tough on the body and at one point I, I, I was like, I don't know if I can make it anymore, but uh, one of my favorite experiences throughout the whole the Olympics was during our opening ceremony, we were in this tunnel where it was just athletes and we were waiting to get into this stadium and, you're next to France and we started chanting USA USA and then they they combated that with one of their you know something in French. obviously we're like kind of going back back kind of like a you know a chanting war and that was a super cool experience despite being super sweaty and (laughs) fatigued from like three hours of walking at that time
1: Well it does sound it was like it was a pretty exhausting trip, but obviously you were there for a reason. You were there to compete and to play. Can you just give a quick overview rundown of how the tournament actually went for you guys?
2: Yeah, so we ended up getting six. Um we we were undefeated coming out of pool play. We played China, Japan, and Australia all in a day and a half and Pretty pumped coming out of pool play, you know, then we all we were set to play Great Britain in the quarterfinal match, and it ultimately came down to that one game and uh Great Britain played lights out uh credit to them, you know, and they just uh didn't really let us get anywhere anywhere with the ball and we were able to move up the field and unfortunately, that's where our dreams kind of ended in in terms of meddling because in order to, obviously, that was the knockout round. So we then played China and Australia after that, and beat China and lost to Australia, so we ended up sixth.
1: How was the emotional toll on, on you and your teammates finishing a spot further down than you did in Rio and, and thinking that you had a, a much better team this year?
2: Yeah, that was super hard to swallow, and I think even this it's been a month and some change since the experience, and I'm still kind of reflecting on it. Because really, you just train so hard and for it to come down to seven minutes on the pitch or three big moments on the pitch, it's just like unbelievable and kind of just like kind of sad that it can be taken away that fast from you. And I don't think we really bounce back from it until the next day. You know, our coach said, mm-hmm. um, go feel your feelings and it's okay to, you know, be sad and it together, but we got a job to do tomorrow, and that's to beat China and to really show what our character is.
1: After the tournament, did you get to let loose a little bit and, and experience some of the rest of the Olympics before you had to board the plane to get back home?
2: Yeah, so we did. um We had a day to kind of just, you know, recover the body after <laughs> the Olympics. You know, I was able to eat pizza <laughs> three times in a row. Mm. That was pretty cool in the Olympic Village. They also had some, like, uh, what was it? dim some or mm. they had a lot of good food like sushi and so i was able to enjoy that and you know do some like light recovery and then we actually got to hang out with great britain with rugby team that <laughs> night and you know celebrate like just you know the olympics and they ended up getting fourth i believe so they had a pretty devastating experience as well to so just be that close to meddling and we, we met some of the spain handball team and uh Didn't go to bed that night, so it was pretty fun.
1: (laughs) Do you feel any differently coming back from the Olympics in terms of you're you're an Olympian, you went, you competed, you were there? Do you feel differently afterwards as opposed to before when you were just almost an Olympian?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely that feeling of success for me in, in terms of it's been a goal of mine my whole entire life, and I feel like I've been training it ever since I can remember training for it ever since I can remember because I knew I wanted to play at the highest level of sport possible and I didn't exactly know what sport that was going to be. Um, and to actually have it come true and to feel like an Olympian is pretty special because back in 2016, you couldn't be an Olympian. I only went there as a reserve. and um, Now it's it's almost like, okay, this is a new chapter moving forward. uh. What can I do next? What what barriers can I break?
1: Well, and then lastly, tell me about what it was like coming back stateside. I know you got to take a little detour and go hang out at the beach for a little bit, but what was it like coming back uh, to Whitefish and and seeing your family and and your supporters?
2: Yeah, that was super cool. Um, you know, I love I love being a Whitefish and and you know getting recognized uh, as the Olympic athlete and the stories that that are really enjoyable to hear are like. Everyone was at the Bulldog cheering you on. That was such a good game. And it was packed. There's three TVs going. And, you know, that's the stuff that, like, kind of makes me, like, have a big grin on my face just because I'm so focused during the tournament that to come home and hear those stories is pretty unique and special to me.
1: That's really awesome. Well, congratulations on on all your hard work out there. It's really fun to follow along. And uh, I appreciate you talking to us about it.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: Nicole and the USA Rugby team will be back to training in October with their first tournament appearance back slated for November in Dubai. To support Nicole in her professional rugby career, consider buying a bag of her specialty blend coffee, which is available at Folklore in Whitefish. We'll be right back. And before we get to this week's headlines, Dr. Mark Remington of Glacier Eye Clinic has a message from our sponsor this week.
1: I've known Jeff for probably around 20 years. Very good friend of mine. He's helped me both personally and professionally in the real estate market. He is super ethical, super knowledgeable. He's prompt. He'll return your calls and he'll steer you in the right direction. As a friend, he's been service before self.
0: Contact Swenson Real Estate at 406-253-0033 today. And now, here are the biggest news stories from the last seven days as of 8 p.m. Tuesday, August 31st. Inspectors with the McCone Conservation District, in partnership with Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks along Montana's High Line, intercepted a mussel fouled boat traveling from Lake Erie to Kalispell. The detection occurred on August 26th when watercraft inspectors at the Nashua Station, located on US Highway 2, inspected an outboard motorboat with muscles on the transducer, gimbal, and other areas of the transom. The motorboat is the 50th muscle fouled vessel intercepted in the state this year, surpassing the total of 35 intercepted in 2020. FWP reminds anyone transporting motorized or non-motorized watercraft into Montana that an inspection is required before launching and stopping at all open watercraft inspection stations is required. Failing to stop at an inspection station can result in a fine of up to $500. Boaters should always ensure their watercraft, trailer, and all equipment that is in contact with water is clean, drained of water, and dry. Montana Governor Greg Gianforte announced on Tuesday a new rule encouraging schools to give parents final say on whether children should wear masks in schools after several large school districts in the state implemented mask requirements for all students. Gianforte made the announcement after the U.S. Department of Education opened on Monday a civil rights investigation into five Republican-led states that have banned or limited mask requirements in schools, saying the policies could amount to discrimination against students with disabilities or health conditions. A growing body of research shows that masking is an effective tool at keeping COVID-19 at bay in schools, and CDC officials have said that most places experiencing surges in the virus are places that are not implementing current CDC guidelines. Over a 72-hour period the weekend of August 20th, the Flathead County Sheriff's Office received approximately 400 calls with an unusual volume of felony charges, according to Sheriff Brian Haino. That particular weekend, which coincided with the Northwest Montana Fair, is reflective of a busy overall summer, which Haino says is testing the limits of the department's resources. Flathead County has reported nine new COVID-19 deaths over the last two weeks, bringing its August toll to 14, following six deaths in July. The county has now experienced 125 total COVID-19 deaths since the pandemic began. Four of the new deaths were reported last week and five this week, according to the Flathead City County Health Department. Montana has added 92 COVID-19 deaths this August, raising the state's total pandemic death toll to 1,800 as of Tuesday. The state has been reporting new deaths on a daily basis this month. Flathead County currently has 835 active cases on Tuesday, the second most in the state behind Yellowstone County. And finally, the Texas billionaires, best known in the Flathead Valley for buying up a wide swath of prized timberland earlier this year, may soon become better known for their enduring contribution to healthcare in Montana, a legacy that began Monday with a $101 million gift to Montana State University's College of Nursing, the largest philanthropic donation in state history. Mark and Robin Jones, who in addition to building a mega mansion on Whitefish's Big Mountain, have also made public safety a priority by donating a new fire truck to the local department, say they hope their contribution to MSU will build upon the school's reputation as a national leader in rural nursing research and education while bolstering the state's healthcare system. The unprecedented donation, which is also the largest gift ever given to a college of nursing in the U.S., will provide funding for new facilities at each of the MSU College of Nursing's five campuses in Bozeman, Billings, Great Falls, Missoula, and Kalispell, equipping them with modern classrooms and state-of-the-art simulation labs. The donation will also establish five newly endowed professorships in the College of Nursing, as well as the state's first certified nurse midwifery program. That's all for this week. As always, you can stay up to date on the latest news online at flatheadbeacon.com. And don't forget to pick up the latest issue of the hard copy of The Flathead Beacon on newsstands throughout Northwest Montana. This edition of The Flathead Beacon podcast was hosted, produced, edited, and mixed by me, Micah Drew. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.